Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. All right, welcome to the Cube Show podcast, a college football podcast that comes to you each and every Sunday because we need more college football content on Sundays. I'm going to be here for you each and every week. We are going to be bringing you SEC news, notes, previews, discussions about everything SEC football each and every week. Appreciate all you guys following the YouTube page. Uh, please click subscribe there. Please comment. Please like. Always love the feedback. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, same thing. Please subscribe. Give us those ratings. We always appreciate the five stars. Doing great there. Need the subscriptions and views to go up, we've been told. But hey, I'm, I'm, I believe in you guys and you can get us there. Um, this is going to come year round as well. We'll do a lot of different things for you. Got spring football underway at a lot of different SEC schools now. So we're going to preview all those. And then on Sundays, like we do during the season, we'll just give you a review of what we saw in the certain spring games from the SEC coming up. Today, we've got comments from Nick Saban we're going to get to. Uh, some people are big mad about that. Players wearing certain numbers. We're going to get to that. Other people upset there. Got a transfer that we're going to talk about heading into LSU. A couple of transfers with the team that we're going to preview today, Florida, that I've gone back and studied, and I'll be able to give you a little better idea of what they're going to be about, what they're going to be able to do, how they're going to help this Florida football team. As you can see, I'm in St. Louis right there. That is actually Bush Stadium right behind me, and I look like I'm kind of in the crosshairs here. Uh, of a sniper, but I got uh, Battlehawks home opener today, taking on the Arlington Renegades. So I'm in St. Louis, but no matter where I am for the XFL, we're still going to bring you SEC content each and every Sunday. And as you know, we're brought to you by Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. Don't have a jar here with me in my hotel room. Got in late last night, games this afternoon, but go grab them at your local grocery store. If you can't find them, head over to the website, grab some there. They'll ship it directly to you. You will not be. You will not regret it. Wickles pickles, wickedly delicious. Title sponsor of this show. We love them. We eat them. We put them on sandwiches. You got different appetizer recipes up on the website. Go check them out on Instagram at Wickles Pickles. They do a great job of giving you just different recipes and ideas of different things you can do there. It's really cool, and we appreciate them sponsoring the show. So, first thing coming up is Nick Saban's comments about the three teams that he potentially is going to have to play. Uh, Ross Dellinger saying that there's this formula that the SEC is using that goes back 10 years, and therefore Alabama would get LSU, Tennessee, and Auburn. Of course, the Auburn game is going to stay. Tennessee game going to stay. It should. So I think the complaint here would be LSU. Well, first and foremost, that has been a ratings juggernaut the last decade plus. Uh, we know Game of the Galaxy, whatever that was, 2011, play the national championship game again. We know what this game's been during the regular season, that 2019 game where LSU won the title, was just completely out of control. You don't want to get rid of this game. I, I don't want to get rid of that game from an Auburn perspective, I'll be honest with you, because if you think back like pre-Saban, Auburn-LSU was kind of close to that game on an annual basis. One, we had two good teams almost every year. Two, the endings and the finishes were just bonkers. Uh, it was just it was great football each and every year, and whether it was the barn burning at Jordan-Hare Stadium, 
whether it was those guys jumping on the tiger eye, whether it was a cigar game. Whether, I mean, just back and forth, back and forth. A lot of crazy things happened in that game. Obviously, Demetrius Bird down the sideline. You just is it was it's, it was crazy football. So we would want that game too. But the reason that I bring this up, number one, I just want to say I don't think Nick Saban is complaining to try to get his way of not playing certain opponents. I think what he is saying is, if you are going to give everybody else one team that falls below the threshold of a certain winning percentage, then you probably need to go back more than just the last 10 years and look at that photograph. You need to go back maybe 15, 20, 25 years because we have three name brands that are most likely going to be good more times than they're not. And some other teams are going to benefit from not having those type of programs in their three annual opponents. I think that's what Coach Saban is trying to say. Listen, Coach Saban's been tooting the horn for nine SEC games for as long as I can remember. He ain't trying to get out of playing football games. That's not what he's about. I think what he's just trying to say, though, is look where Tennessee is now. Look where they have been historically. And when you put them next to Auburn and LSU, if these other teams are going to get clubs that have been below a certain winning percentage for the last however long, those don't really qualify for us. That's all he's trying to say. So there are a lot of people big mad about it. And I want to just kind of give a warning out right now for SEC fans. I just want to put this out there for all of you. Uh, you're all going to be pissed off. Every single one of you. Vanderbilt fans, Tennessee fans, Auburn fans, Florida fans, LSU fans, Georgia fans. You're going to be pissed at the three teams that you get. So just stop worrying about it. Just know right now you're going to be big mad at whatever the league does to you about who you're going to play, how you're going to play them, when you're going to play them, and what they've been either five years, 10 years, 15, 115 years for the last whatever they've been playing football, just know you're going to be mad. And just accept it and move on because that's what it's going to be. No one's going to be happy. No one's going to be reaching out to the league office and sending Greg Sankey a handwritten thank you of, Woo, we really appreciate the teams that you signed up on for us to play. This is going to be great. Now we can go compete for titles. I mean, honestly, that might be the part that we need to look at here. Who is going to be scheduled a certain amount of teams that changes what they're forecasted to do for the next 10 or 20 years, Texas, South Carolina, Florida. We're going to talk about them today. Is, is the, is the, is what we expect them to be or do for five, 10, 15, 20 years. Is that going to change based on the fact that you got one team as opposed to another? If you got Vanderbilt instead of LSU, or if you got, let's say Missouri instead of Alabama, like, does that, I understand that that might be one game difference over each year for the next three to five years. But is that going to change how many times you win the division? Is it going to change how many times you're competing for a title? And when we go to 12, we're going to be living more in the basketball world anyway, where all I hear is these damn basketball teams talking about, oh, a close loss. They lost this game close. This was a tight loss. Who gives a shit? You lost the game. I, I, I don't, I've never been one to, to care about competitive losses. Like that, That's not a qualifier for me. Like, great, you competed. You were in the game. You had an opportunity. I'm not going to look at that and smile and say, boy, we were in it. That just that doesn't really work for me. So something that I've kind of seen this past week that I wanted to get into for just a little bit. Um, also, uh, you know, when the scheduling thing happens, there's no guarantee that it's got to stay there for 100 years. The three opponents that stay if they go to nine could change. And some of the commentary around you know, when and if and how they get to nine and what's going to have to happen for that to take place. My my belief is that it's going to take place because as Scott Strickland said at Florida, your inventory amongst yourselves has become so valuable, you probably need to lean into that a little bit more. 
Now, is Greg Sankey wrong for trying to get another check for it? Absolutely not. Go get your bag, make that happen, and let's move forward. Um, also, uh, a quick transfer note. Had a chance to go back and study LSU transfer uh, Mason Lunsford. He's coming in from Maryland, big offensive lineman, played mostly guard there. Um, first off, I think LSU has a chance to have the best offensive line in the SEC. I think LSU and Georgia are ahead of everybody else in the league as far as just talent, experience, and what they most likely can and will be along the offensive line. Uh, so I didn't think that they needed this. I mean, you still have a couple of guys there that uh, haven't played a ton of football on that offensive line that are capable. Like, and I don't look at depth as a major issue, but you still had to play two freshmen last year. You got another freshman coming in that says he's going to beat out Will Campbell. Uh, so if you play another freshman this year, so you got basically you could potentially have three guys that have been playing less than two years of college football starting on your O-line. That's rare. It doesn't really happen a lot. And we talked about that with LSU last year. Just two freshmen starting is extremely rare. I don't. Last year was the first time I ever remember it. But this is a young man that is big, physical. He's got good power. He's strong, but he's a bit of a lumberer. Uh, you know, big ankle kid that uh, actually has decent flexibility for his size. Um, doesn't really play with great leverage a lot of the times. He gets high. Guys get underneath him, and he is a bear hugger. Uh, and when I say that, he does not win with his hands inside. His hands are a massive issue, and that's something that is going to have to be changed by Coach Davis if he's going to find a way to get in there and be someone who can help this offensive line. Is he an extra body that's capable, that understands speed of the game, physicality, all that? Yeah, sure, he is. But I don't look at this as somebody who's going to come in and beat out one of the young men that's already there and potentially take somebody's spot. So maybe some depth, and that'll be good. And he can provide that. And you know, he can give you somebody who understands a lot about big-time college football. And who knows? Maybe he gets better coaching, and he can find a way to move in there and play a little bit more, be a role player or somebody who gives the guy a blow. But I just don't view him as a starter for that LSU football team. All right, so let's roll into it. Uh, Florida Spring Preview. Interesting team. Uh, a team that got off to a great start last year. And almost like they just forgot where their pit crew was and, and didn't find a way to build on the things that were happening or repair certain things that became an issue going down the road and, and, and take the foundation that was the Utah game and springboard that into a quality year. Now, there were reasons for this. There were some injuries. Obviously, you had a lot of guys leave. There was some, some roster movement that had a lot to do with that. New system, new scheme. Uh, there were some discipline issues, which has been an issue for, for a while. And you've had different, you know, hard-nosed guys go in there and like, I'm going to fix this. But there's been a little bit of that culture question of, you know, just discipline, want to, motor, things like that, that have been in question for portions of that team for quite some time. Uh, I have been on record saying that I think Billy and his guys can get that right and they can make that happen. They can make that better. I'm still confident in that. So I'll preface this preview uh, with just two things quickly. Number one, when you look at that Florida schedule, it ain't easy, and it's not one that I think is going to be able to roll in on cruise control and just get a ton of wins. Uh, I still think you're going to need wins early, uh, and at Utah, most likely not going to be one. McNeese, Tennessee, Charlotte, right out of the gate. At Kentucky, Vanderbilt, you can laugh at that one, but we know what it turned into last year. We've previewed Vanderbilt last week. South Carolina's got an elite talent at quarterback. And then, of course, Georgia, Arkansas, another big-time talent at quarterback. At Missouri, I never like Florida going to Missouri in the middle of November, no matter what the two teams are or what the differential in talent is. And then, of course, Florida State, who a lot of people have in their top five this year. Jordan Travis is back. I mean, just the quarterback prowess that Florida is going to face this year in and of itself makes this a very dangerous schedule. I would ask this of Florida fans. Kind of, kind of do me this favor if you can. 
I would say begin to find a way to realistically step into a new mentality when it comes to expectations this year. Because if this team wins eight or nine, that is an amazing season. If this team wins seven, that's not a miserable season. This is a this is a very difficult schedule with a team that is still in transition, still in flux, so to speak. There's a lot of in, there's a lot of out on this roster. Uh, you got, well, I think, 27 new scholarship players coming in. You've got 15, 20 kids out of the portal that potentially could help this team. We're going to talk about a bunch of them in a few minutes. But it, this is this is not a roster that has been together, been intact, and has a full understanding of everything. So alter those expectations because the 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 minor rumblings that I have heard about Scott Strickland having to look for another coach after this year are completely fucking asinine. I don't know another way to say it. Like you are out of your mind if you think that this team wins seven or eight and Scott Strickland should even go to the drawer and look at the list that he might have for some day down the road of another college football coach coming to Gainesville. Just stop that shit immediately is what I would say. Okay? I understand we want to win now. I understand that everybody, it's me, me, me. Give me, give me, give me. More, more, more. I want mine. I got it. I know what I know what era we're living in in society today. Understand that. But just bring a dose of reality into what you're watching and what you're wanting and maybe what is realistic as far as certain teams can and cannot do. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so that being said, there's a, another narrative kind of floating around this team that I think is a little bit bothersome for me. Uh, I've seen a couple people that cover this team talk about this. I've seen a couple other people write some articles I was reading up trying to prep for this uh, show today and just getting a little bit of an idea. I've seen this celebrating of Graham Mertz. And and listen, you know, Graham Mertz was out there NIL. He had his logo and all. He's like the first guy to do all that. And he had his gear and everything. And like, you know, there was all this talk about this, that. And, and he hasn't had a ton of opportunities to push the ball down the field. I know the offense that he played in. I think he's fairly capable. I think he's a good student of the game. I think he's been around college football for a long time. So, good Lord, you better act right. You better know how to show up for practice. You better be watching film. What are you, 25 years old? Like 23 years old? 22 years old even? Like you should know how to handle your business. But this celebrating of a kid because he's showing up for practice and he's actually going to watch film and he can grasp the offense and he knows it. Now, if, if that part's different than last year, then celebrate that as to we have this instead of that and we're happy about it. Like we got a guy that can check the outside zone to the right or to the left based on the look of the three or the nose. And that makes us happy. We're capable of doing that. He can see cover two and understand not to throw a slant because of what's happening on the back end of the defense. Good. Great. I'm excited for that. But let me just tell you this, if, if we're celebrating kids now for showing up and trying hard and doing what they're supposed to do, where the fuck are we as far as grading, talking about, and discussing college football players? I'm all for celebrating kids that go through a lot and overcome adversity and try hard and do their best and maybe maybe surpass their level of ability and what kind of player they've turned out to be. But don't sit here and try to sell me on a guy because he's doing the things that he's supposed to be doing. And I'm not banging on Graham Mertz here. Actually, I'm going to tell you in a minute why I think Graham Mertz can be effective in this offense. But I don't need you trying to shove it down my throat that he goes to watch film and he's actually picked up the offense because he's been around college football for seven years. 
And all of a sudden that this look, oh, he's going to be the savior in a Florida uniform. Nothing against him at all. It's just stop doing that. Stop trying to tell me that a guy that shows up and is what he is supposed to be doing the things necessary to be a good college football player. And we're going to rah-rah that shit and celebrate him like this is something different than what a thousand other kids are doing at every other school. Like that is just dumb. And I'm not sure where it's coming from or why it's there or what it actually is, but Graham Mertz is a veteran. He's a veteran. He's been around it. He knows it. That's one of the reasons I think he's going to be good in this offense. A lot of what this offense is, when it's at its best, is getting into the right thing. And those right things are not super complicated. It's honestly right or left or understanding pull the ball, give the ball. Like Billy's offense is not super complex. But there are certain things that have to be done pre-snap, post-snap that you have to understand based on where the defense is and what the defense is doing that gives you the best chance to be able to be successful. Graham Mertz is going to offer that. He has a good enough arm to make the throws. Does he have a special arm? No. Does he have special escapability? Absolutely not. But Graham Mertz is enough of an athlete to utilize some play action and run a bootleg or keep a zone read occasionally and make a defense pay for it if you're not respecting that. I think he's athletic enough to help them in different parts of this offense. Now, is he last year? No, he's not even close to that. But that guy just went to the combine and physically did things that no quarterback has ever done. Whatever the stupid metric is that they're using to grade athleticism in quarterbacks, he was the best they've ever had. I don't know how they get to that algorithm. I don't know what mathematicians and Scientologists are coming up with that. But whatever it was, he was at the top of the list, which tells me, Don't try to compare the athleticism to what was there previously. Just understand what the strengths are going to be with the guy who's there now. The understanding, the ability to move, the ability to change, and what not to do are where the value will come with Graham Mertz. Once again, I don't think he's a game changer. I don't think you have to have a game changer in Billy's offense because they're fine at running back. Montreal Johnson was an underrated back last year. No one really gave him the credit he deserved for what kind of a grinder he was, how physical he was, the extra yards that he gained. Then you throw in ATN as a bit of a changeup, and now you got your one-two punch. It really is all you need. Now, Billy of Louisiana had three backs that were rolling at times, so they'll still play more if they need to and they want to. But this offensive line is one that I think has a chance to exceed some expectations and has a chance to be pretty good. Uh, I've gone back and studied the kid from Baylor, uh, Michael Mazkua, I believe it is, 6'5", 329. Uh, he's got a mean streak. He's physical, plays hard. Uh, I've talked to some guys been around him, compared his game to Roger Saffold, who's a mean MFer, and that's kind of the way that he plays. Now, body control, a little bit, little bit top-heavy at times. He tries to win with his upper body, tries to headbutt some guys, tries to win with his punch a little bit too much. But this is where, when we talk about this entire group, This is where Florida has something that not a lot of schools have. And this is why I celebrated it. And this is why I had our producer, John, cut the clip talking about Kendall Simmons at Auburn last week as to how valuable it is to have basically two offensive line coaches. And one can be listed as an analyst. One can even be listed as a tight end coach or assistant offensive line coach or helper with the offensive line. Whatever the hell you want to call it, the value is reps. So let me try to explain this just a little bit further. You can take the center, left guard, left tackles, plural, all of them, go over here, and boom, 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 you're working your reps. And instead of having to go left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle with your reps, and then the twos, and then the reps, now you have half lines, so to speak. 
I can even take my first string center, my second string center, and then split the first group. Now centers are getting extra reps. Guards and tackles are getting reps with different centers. That becomes valuable because that change might have to take place and he gets more ready to play. You can rotate those guys. So if your starting left guard is your third center, after he takes his starting left guard rep, well, guess what he can do? Come take reps with the center on this side because the starting center went over there. So the fact that they have Rob Sale and Darnell Stapleton to be able to split that group up, they're going to be ahead of schedule. Now, what is the schedule? I don't exactly know because that group did exceed expectations last year. And a lot of you tried to tell me, Florida fans, that two years ago you had the best offensive line in college football. You didn't. The group has not played at an elite level in quite some time. But it got better last year. And Osiris Torrance brought a little bit of that nasty. A couple other guys up front had a little bit of there. But it's starting to look the way that it's supposed to look. And you have two good offensive line coaches that are going to be with those guys each and every day that are sort of helping them get there. So Austin Barber's going to be over at left tackle. He's going to be fine. I don't have big concerns there. Damian George and Goodwin, the transfer from Kentucky, are going to be on the right side. Goodwin's a massive human being. Now, look how big is something that we talk about a lot. doesn't always work, but all you got to do is watch the combine, and you see Dwan Jones out of Ohio State, and all of a sudden, everyone is literally pissing their pants because you got a guy that's bigger in every way than we've ever seen an offensive lineman there. That doesn't block people. That gets in people's way, and sometimes that works but it doesn't always work. If that worked, why would the other side of the ball for this team not be dominant in one fashion by just being able to be that big? Because Florida has that too. We'll talk about it in a minute. So he's a guy that will compete at right tackle. Damian George will compete at right tackle. I'm going to say this about Damian George. And if you listen to this podcast, you've heard us talk about him a couple of weeks ago when we mentioned all the other transfers. He is a super talent. He is someone that Nick Saban tried to force onto the football field because of physically what he's capable of doing. His wingspan, his feet, his movement, his lateral movement, his change of direction, his flexibility. The offensive line switch has just not been hit just yet. And that's okay. That's fine. Offensive line takes longer to develop than any other position, in my opinion. So it doesn't always have to hit right away. And I know there are freshmen playing all kinds of places and doing different things. It's great. But there are also offensive linemen that have been around for a few years that all of a sudden end up being really good players. More so probably than any other position. It takes time. And now he's going from one system to another. So it's it's going to be okay. But know you have an elite talent, a big-time talent there that could potentially help this group. So I, I feel pretty good about this offensive line based on where they went last year and based on the talent that's come in this year, and there were a guy or two that left, but it's not anybody who I thought was going to make a huge difference. You get Kingsley back at center who kind of held that thing down, you'll be fine there. And again, this is an offensive, from a run perspective, not a pass perspective, from a run perspective, this is an offensive line-friendly scheme. The stretch play, the outside zone, the pin and pull. And when you run pin and pull, like one guy's blocking back, and I'm just, I'm pinning him, walling him off, and then you pull around. And that's fun as an offensive lineman. I like to pull around and go try to knock the shit out of somebody, especially if it's a dude not paying attention or playing out of position or standing straight up or whatever. Turns his body straight to me and gives me his chest because I'm going to try to put my face mask through it. So it's an offensive line-friendly scheme, especially in the run game. Now, pass protection, you're still going to have to have professional pass sets. That's hard for a lot of guys. It's not easy. But I do have confidence that this group can be better than people are giving them credit for. They just have to, they've got to find continuity and chemistry. They've got to mold. They've got to, they've got to gel. And they have plenty of time to be able to do that. And if you have a quarterback that's getting them in the right stuff, that makes their life easier. 
Now that could be keeping a tight end to help block. That could be understanding that pressure's coming, you slide it and you get the ball out and don't try to be a magician and hold on and move around for 15 seconds. That is offensive line friendly stuff. And Graham Mertz will offer some of that. So, and I also think Montrell's a guy that gives you extra yards. Like he makes the offensive line look better. And then a change up home run hitter like ATN also helps with that. So tight end becomes a big concern for me because this scheme has asked for extra tight ends for a long time. And we haven't seen great tight end play since Pitts left, really. And he kind of wasn't even that guy. We know how Dan used Pitts, and they don't need that right now. But I will say that from a tight end perspective, you know, you got Jonathan Odom who had the ACL, so he'll be kind of coming back. Zipper and Xanders are both back. Have they lived up to their expectations yet? Have they peaked as far as their ability is concerned? Probably not. But they're veteran guys that are going to have a better understanding of what this system is. And the key part is just bodies at this spot. They didn't have bodies at this position last year, and I thought that was a major issue. Uh, because you had one guy had to retire, like four guys transferred. You just didn't have enough guys there to even help. So now uh, you'll get um, a couple of different bodies who I think can kind of help out a little bit. Uh, this artist, Boardingham, that's you know kind of more of a, a big YH, can help you out in a little bit different ways there. I probably botched that pronunciation, so I'm sorry. Um, but they're going to have enough capable bodies to be more helpful and more beneficial there because Billy, will he wants to formation you. He wants to widen that surface defensively, force you to line up a little bit wider from the football, open up different run lanes. And then obviously when you have to defend things like that a different way, it's going to force more help from the back end, second, third level, have to come over and be of assistance. And then when you do that, play action hits up top. I told you this shit ain't hard. So you just have guys that have to know how to execute it. And I heard Billy talking this spring already about more guys not knowing so much what to do, but why we do what we do. And that's critical in really every essence of football. And that's going to be a big part of, of kind of where they go. Receiver, I don't know. Um, is the Aiden Mazel kid or the Andy Jean kid going to come as a freshman and blow it up? I Maybe. We've seen freshman receivers do it. It's not like they can't. So that's a position that you would look at and say, you could easily get big help from a freshman or a first-year player at that spot. And maybe they will. Uh, and the good news is they don't need a, a 120 target guy. It's not what this offense really is. But you need someone who is a, a crisp, clean route runner that understands where to break things off, how to utilize leverage, how to utilize that space that you're going to be given because of everything else happening, and then catch the damn ball. Um, so I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a weakness, but it is one of my concerns. Like Xavier Henderson's done some good things. I think Ricky Pearsall's super solid. So with the young guys coming in that potentially could help, that position might be fine. But this is not an off. This is not a wide receiver dominant offense. So that's okay if some guys take a little longer to come along, and if you get early help from maybe some guys that we don't expect to right this second, you'll be fine. You'll be okay. So all in all. The offense not quite as bad as some folks are making it out to be. I, I, I don't look at it and say, oh, we got big issues. On the other side, yeah, your first concern, your first problems at Austin Armstrong seemingly just got there. Uh, but you guys know, if you listen to this again, what I think of Austin, I think he's fantastic. I think he's great. He's a great teacher. That part will benefit this group maybe more than anything else. And I also heard Billy this week talking about, or last week, whatever it was, through spring ball, that a lot of the language, he's been with them before, so he's been around some of the assistants that have been there. And it's not too far off from a verbiage or understanding standpoint than what Patrick Tony was doing. Now, Austin coaches a little bit different. 
you know, the fronts will be a little bit different. You'll get more of that Jack linebacker and you'll get some different things in the secondary that maybe they weren't doing a year ago. Um, but you still got to have bodies. You got to have dudes. And, and I think, where do you start? Like football games are one in the middle for me. Like the closest to the ball up, back and forward is how you win games. Well, that means nose, D-tackle, Mike linebacker, safety, center, quarterback, running back. Obviously, they're all very important. Um, I think the middle of the defense can be fine. Uh, we talked about Cam Jackson, Memphis transfer, D-tackle not long ago. He's a player. If they get his motor going, it's going to be great news for Florida fans because him next to Des Watson, who is immovable when his motor's going, is it going to be a massive one-two punch inside. That gives you the big bodies that you have to have, even just at times in this league, to be successful. And that's going to cover up some other things. Um, you know, I think Will Norman's a guy that could potentially help up front. Caleb Banks is going to help sort of inside and out the, the, the Louisville transfer. He's not as big of a body, but he'll help at some different spots. I think his versatility will help a little bit, especially when they need to go four down. You can move him inside, get a little extra pass rush if you have to. Uh, Chris McClellan, I think, is a guy that'll help out with that group also. Um, you know, one of the bigger gets from the portal is, is going to be the, the linebacker from Ohio State and, you know, Tarada Mitchell. And this is a kid that was voted a captain at Ohio State. He played Will. He played Mike. He's played a lot of different positions. He's been around football for a long time. So his understanding is going to be solid. And we saw how different the defense was when Ventrell Miller, who was the vocal cords of the defense last year, went out. They were lost. It's kind of like Toho Toho at Alabama last year. It might not be the most dominant human being at the position. He might not be the most physically imposing, but getting guys lined up, getting guys to the right place, getting guys to do the right things is super, super valuable. And that's what I think Mitchell can be able to do. And he'll compete and they'll have other guys there. Um, you know, Shamar James probably going to be able to play Will. Um, I, I think Wingo's a guy that could, could potentially compete at Mike a little bit. You might see him play some. And then off the edge, obviously, Justin Boone, uh, he'll move inside, outside a little bit. Uh, TJ Searcy could potentially help out there just a little bit. Um, you know, Powell Ryland might help out there a little bit. Jack Pyburn has played there some. So there are some numbers. Um, I think Princely is is probably your best edge presence right now just because he's got that get off. He's got that quickness. He's got that explosiveness. Um, but I, he still concerns me a little bit as an every down player. He's not that guy against the run just yet. He's a little bit of a lighter, just a little bit of a lighter dude. So, but I think when you need somebody to sort of rip it off the edge and bend the corner and you know run the hump, he can be that guy, and he can be someone that forces a tackle to get a little bit nervous in his stance where he's trying to jump the snap a little bit. And he's rocking back and forth, and all of a sudden you got some problems. Um, you know, cornerback. Um, you know, Jakeem Jackson, Devin Moore. I think you'll probably see their names a lot coming up this season. I think those will be guys that. They probably get a rod of run. Kamari Wilson at safety, Miguel Mitchell at safety. I think you'll see Perkins at star, but I think the back end is probably still going to move a lot. I think you'll still, they're going to shop the portal there after spring ball and safety doesn't have a lot of depth right now. So are there other players that could, you know, maybe moonlight at star safety, corner star, uh, corner safety, whatever that is. I think Austin's going to take this spring practice to find out who might be capable of doing that and, and give them some run, potentially trying to help them in different ways. So it's a lot of different guys in a lot of different places. The good news is you have the foundation up front to sort of build that defense around. You have the foundation defensively with big bodies in the middle and a veteran presence at linebacker, most likely 
who can call it and get everybody lined up. Let's be real with what we saw last year with the Florida defense. There were a lot of instances that they were not lined up correctly. And I go back to something Will Muschamp told me years ago. He's like, dude, I can hand you my playbook right now. I don't care. Alignment, assignment, effort. That's it. Do you know where to line up? Do you know what your assignment is after you get there? And can you give me good effort after the ball is snapped? You do those three things, you got a chance to win. Well, there are a lot of times that, and yes, I'm not going to tell you the effort was great for Florida every snap, every down, every series last year. But there are a lot of times that guys just weren't lined up correctly. And then you're, you're defeated before the ball is snapped. So to summarize this Florida spring preview, positions that we're watching, obviously quarterback. And congratulations, you're, you're, you're going to the facility and you're watching film and you're taking snaps and you're throwing the ball. Why we're going nuts about that, guys, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm just, I'm never, never really going to, understand um execution good congratulations it means you get it it means you tried some guys get it faster than others uh the schedule is going to be tough it's going to be brutal but we're going to be watching receiver how many young guys look like they can immediately help there what's the order of the offensive line do you take maybe goodwin or george and try to slide them down at a guard spot if you had to don't don't really know feels like you're set at most of your spots though and that's good you have tight end depth that's a positive uh, is there another running back that emerges can help out? Like Kim Carroll, I don't really know why he transferred in from Tulane. I don't know if he's going to get a ton of carries or not. Can he play special teams? Probably, but it didn't seem like it made a ton of sense. But what they have done in the portal, and a couple of younger guys coming in, are going to help this football team. It's just going to be a matter of how quickly they can all get on the same page and how much they can help them how fast. So that's going to be kind of some things that I'm watching as well. Linebacker spots, edge. How many young guys looking to help there? I'm not worried about the middle of the defense. And what's the rotation at safety, corner, star, whatever. I want to see that as well for Florida. Those are things I'm keeping up with. Those are the things I'm watching. We're also brought to you by Blue Delta Jeans. Never forget that. Had mine on an event last night that my wife and I went to. Uh, fundraiser in Homewood, Alabama. Homewood grown. And it looks like I'm wearing dress pants. Like nobody questions. Oh, he wore denim or he wore jeans. Custom fit blue jeans that you'll never need another pair for. BlueDeltaJeans.com. Go visit them online now. You see Tom Hart wearing them, Greg Sankey wearing them, Peter Burns wearing them. They are incredible. BlueDeltaJeans.com. Get you a pair. You'll never need another pair of jeans because they are wonderful. And they got a bunch of new colors out for spring, so go check out the website and you can check out that. Our spring previews will continue next week. Arkansas started this week. LSU started this week. Mississippi State started this week. Kentucky started this week. We haven't previewed any of those teams as far as the spring is concerned. So we might try to jam two into more episodes coming up, but when it's a team like Florida with so much going on, we don't have time to be able to preview two teams. So we want to try to keep these between 30 and 45 minutes, usually around 30, so we're a little long today. Wickles Pickles, thank you. Blue Delta Jeans, thank you. We will be back delivering you more college football content next week. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.